Amen. That's our heart, Lord. I pray that we would come before you this morning humble and broken, Lord, desperate for you. You're such a great and awesome God. Lord, without you, we can do nothing. Make us humble, Lord, before you. May we seek your face. Lord, I pray for our time in the Word this morning, that you truly would be our teacher. Minister to every single heart that's here. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. It's really, really good to have you here. Um, If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, because we will be using the Bible this morning. We do that around here. And so raise your hand. We'll be happy to loan you one. And if... uh, If you don't have a Bible at home or you like that one better, please feel free to take that home as our gift to you guys. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by Word of God. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Acts 27. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. And this morning, as as every chapter in the Bible is, yet another awesome chapter in God's Word. And I titled the message this morning, In the Midst of the Storm. And here's the reality, guys. Sometimes we think that when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, that we're going to be on the cruise ship to heaven, and we're never going to have any more difficulty ever again. But the reality is that we go through difficulty, but as Christians, we don't go through it alone anymore. And we're going to see an example of Paul this morning, how God's going to use yet another trial, now yet this time a storm in his life, for an opportunity for the gospel, a divine appointment, a a chance for him to be salt and light to the people around him. If you're here for the first time or haven't been here in a while, just to catch you up, the book of Acts is really about the power of the Holy Spirit transforming lives. Jesus has ascended back into heaven. He sent His Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit took a guy like Peter and turned him in from a guy who was napping and confused and lopping off ears and and denying the Lord to being a guy who spoke with great power and boldness and saw many people come to Christ. The same is true of Saul of Tarsus. He went from being a guy who persecuted the church to a man who was being used mightily by God. But we saw that when Paul got saved, God gave him a passion and a burden for his own people, but he sent him out first to the Gentiles. And he went through all the the known nations and and led many to Christ and planted churches out throughout the Gentile nation, but there was still that burden for his own people. And God told him that he was going to give him a chance to go back to the Jews, but there was going to be trials and torment waiting for him. And as we've been looking at the past several chapters, they've tried to pull him to pieces, literally, limb from limb. As soon as they tried to kill him, what did he do? He got in front of the mob and he preached the gospel. We then saw him go before the Sanhedrin. They too plotted to kill him. What did he do? He shared Jesus with them. They then took him away to the governor Felix. And the governor Felix, again, he was being persecuted while he was there, but he viewed it as an opportunity for the gospel and he preached the gospel to Felix. Felix went away and a man by the name of Festus came along. What did he do with him? He preached the gospel. He spent two years chained up in prison with no charges against him. He had done nothing wrong, and he didn't cry out and say, let me loose. Instead, he said, God, you've got me here for a reason. I'm chained up to these guys. I'm going to preach Jesus to everybody they chained me up to. You know, we, we can learn a great deal from Paul, can't we? That in the midst of our difficulty and trials, that God's got us there for a reason. God is sovereign. God is faithful. God is in control, and we can trust him. And so last week, we, in Acts 26, it's really sad. We saw the, the picture of him ministering to both Festus and then King Agrippa. And it was such a sad situation because he clearly delivered the gospel to them. And if you'll remember from last week, that when he was all done sharing his testimony and sharing the gospel, that Festus and King Agrippa reacted in two different ways. Festus said, and this is the Pastor Dave uh, way of saying it, he said, dude, you are outside your mind. 
That's what he told him. He said, you are crazy. You've lost your mind, Paul. You really believe that? Paul said, yes, I do. And then we saw what is even sadder. King Agrippa used two words. He said, I'm almost what? I'm almost persuaded. You almost persuade me to be a Christian. And I'll tell you what, I can think of no two sadder words in the Bible than someone to say, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Because when I was a kid, they told me almost only counted in horseshoes, hand grenades, and atom bombs. And it doesn't count in salvation. You know, no decision is a decision. We've got to come to a point where we give our life to Jesus Christ. You can't just know about Him, but you must know Him in an intimate and a personal way. And so they get all done, they can find no charges against him, but because he cried out to go to Caesar, that's what we pick up in chapter 27 this morning, is he's going to head off now to go to Rome. And it was God's plan for him to go to Rome because there was divine appointments waiting for him there, yet more opportunities for him to share the gospel. And he's going to go to Rome because God promised him he would, but guess what, he's not going to get there the way he thought he might. You know, no doubt in his mind he probably had an idea of how he was going to get there, but God had another plan. Now we're going to see this morning that Paul's going to head there, but he's not going to head there in the way again like he thought, but he's going to head there as a prisoner. And as a prisoner, he's going to be on a ship. And and as he's on that ship, things are going to go sideways. But again, as the storm's going to raise up, Paul's going to say, praise the Lord. God, you're in control. Here's another opportunity for me to share my faith. You know, we all want to be like Paul, and we all want to have his testimony, but we don't want the tests that come along with it. Lord, use me mightily, but put me on the cruise ship. Lord, I, but here's the reality. If you want to be used mightily by God, hold on. Amen? Because it's through trials and difficulty that you have the greatest opportunity to be a testimony to a lost and a dying world. So this morning we're going to see, in the midst of the storm, that he's going to board a ship to Rome. He's going to warn the guys that the storm's coming. They're not going to listen. In the midst of the storm, we're going to see him, God use him mightily. And then lastly, we're going to see him give godly counsel to all who are on the ship. And he's going to share four things with them that will be an example to us of how we might reach out to those around us. So Acts 27, let's begin in verse 1. Paul's going to board this ship full of prisoners headed to Rome. All a part of God's plan. Look at verse 1. It says, And when it was decided that we should, all sail, to, that we should sail to Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. Now, Paul's now headed to Rome. Again, not in the way that he would have thought. They decided it was time to go to Italy. And again, it had been determined a long time ago. Didn't God already tell Paul all the way back in chapter uh, 23 and also earlier that he was going to go to Rome? He told him clearly, you're going to Rome. In Acts 23, 11, he told him he was going. So Paul already knew And it took these guys several years to figure out that that's where God was going to send them. But God already knew. God's plans are perfect. Men think they know what they're doing, but God already knows. Amen? And so God had a plan. He was sending Paul there, and they decided to put him on this ship. But again, God also had a plan for the trip on the way there. You know, often we're looking for the destiny. And I had a friend once tell me many years ago, and I've never forgotten, he said, said, Dave, ministry's not a destination, it's a way of life, and we're all in it. We often talk about one of these days when I get to this point, then I'll be used by God in a mighty way. When I finally do this, when my kids are all grown up, or when I get a promotion at work, or when I retire, or when I, what, and we always have these things down the road where God's going to use us, and the reality is that the journey we're on is ministry right now. You're all in the ministry. If you're born again, you're in it. Amen? But I didn't go to any ministry classes. You're in one right now. Amen? 
God called you. He desires to use you. Paul's on a ship, and he could have said, man, do you know at this point, Paul's already been in three shipwrecks. He's already spent a day and night in the deep. He's already been beaten and mocked and scourged. He's had everything under the sun happen to him. And you know what? He could have just been bummed out and said, Lord, I was in prison for two years. I did nothing wrong. Now I'm on a ship headed with a bunch of prisoners. He didn't say that. He said, Lord, thank you, Lord. An opportunity for me to minister to the people around him. All his companions were a part of God's sovereign plan. The prisoners and also the centurion and the crew that was on the ship. Nobody that was placed in his life was placed there by chance. And can I say to you, that nobody that's in your life is in your life by chance. The person that sits next to you at work or at school, your next door neighbor, the person that you run into at the supermarket, all a part of God's divine plan. Does God orchestrate every aspect of our life? Absolutely. He's numbered the hairs on your head. He knows everything about you, and he knows everyone that's around you, and he's put you there for a reason. And Paul got on this ship understanding that. Do you think there was one prisoner on that ship that didn't hear about Jesus? What do you think? You put Paul in a confined room with somebody, you got a riot or a revival. Every single time. People are either wanting to kill him or they're getting saved. You got to like that about Paul. Now, I'm going to be, my heart when I get to heaven is I just want to sit at Jesus' feet for about 10 billion years. But after that, I want to go say hi to Paul and just hook up with that guy for a little bit. I like to, you know, have a, you know, have some tri-tip with Paul, right? I mean, this guy, I just love this guy's heart because his focus was so eternal, eternal. It didn't matter if it was prisoners chained up to him or if he was standing before a king. He viewed everything as an opportunity for the gospel. May we learn from his heart. May we learn from those divine appointments. Look at verse 2. So entering the ship of Adratum, whatever, A.D., we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Articus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Now, it's interesting. Erasticus was a man who's mentioned earlier as being a guy who traveled with Paul everywhere he went when he was collecting the offerings from the Gentile churches to take back to the Jews. And do you know it says nowhere in the Bible at this point that he's a prisoner? So you know what that means? That means that he's traveling with Paul out of one desire to minister to him. Now, can you imagine how much love he must have had for Paul to volunteer for prison. Well, Paul, you're going to prison? I'm going with you, bro. They're going to put you on a ship? I'm going to ride with you. And it says there in verse 2, and we put to sea. Who's writing this book? Who remembers? Luke. So Luke's with him also. Luke and, and, and uh, his other brother here, Aristarchus, are traveling with Paul with one focus, one passion, one desire to minister to him, to hold up his hands, and to encourage him as he does ministry. What a blessing it must have been for Paul. How he must have thanked the Lord. The Holy Spirit was with him, but God also brought men to stand up alongside him, to hold up his hands. Praise the Lord for that. You know, it's been said that blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. Amen? There's people in this room that I've known you, some of you, weeks or months, maybe some of you I met today, but there's already a kindred spirit when you got Jesus in common. Amen? And I tell you, what a blessing. And that's how it was for these guys that said, man, Paul, we see God's hand on you, we see his calling on your life, we just want to go with you, we're volunteering for prison. Whatever it takes, we want to walk with you. Verse 3. And the next day we landed at Sidon. Now this was about a, an 80 mile trip. They traveled it in one day on this what was a small ship that was probably owned by an individual. 
They jumped on this ship hoping to get to a bigger city where they could jump a larger ship on their way to Italy, on their way to Rome. Now it says there, And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Now Julius was a Roman centurion. And in the Bible, whenever you see a Roman centurion, they're always men of great character. At least the ones that are talked about at length in the Bible. I'm sure it's not true of all Roman centurions. But it's amazing when you look at the guys in the Bible who are put in those positions, how they're men of great character. I'll give you an example. Remember when Jesus, Luke chapter 7, a centurion showed up to him and said, my servant is ill. You guys remember that story? And he said to, to the Lord, you know, and the Lord said to him, well, I'll come. And he said, you know what? I'm a man under authority. And if I say to someone, go, then he goes. And I know that you're under authority. And you can just speak the word and my servant will be healed. You don't even have to come. I have enough faith in you to believe. You just say the word, I know he'll be healed. And Jesus said of the centurion, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. There was a centurion watching when Jesus was crucified. And after the crucifixion and the earth started to quake, he said what every person on the planet should have said. He said, truly, this is the Son of God. Nobody else said it, but he said it. Another centurion. The first Gentile converted was a man by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. Gentile Pentecost took place at his house. He invited Peter over and everybody got saved. These centurion guys, God uses them mightily. And here we have another one named Julius who shows favor toward Paul. Look how much favor and look how much trust he has in him. They've been traveling on the sea for one day together. And look what he does. He gave him liberty to go to his friends. Now, understand that if somebody was charged with something and they got away, you were charged with their crime. If they were deserving of death, they put you to death. How much of an impact Paul had had on this guy in one day that Julius said, go on into the city, go visit your brothers in the Lord, go minister to them, let them minister to you, let them give them the supplies you need, and you come on back here at the end of the day. Whoa, that's some faith, amen? That's trusting in Paul, but I imagine that, again, Paul's desire was to go to Rome. He was the last guy in the world that was going to escape because he knew it was all a part of God's perfect plan. You know, interesting later, we're going to see that God's going to use Julius to speak the word that saves Paul's life. Now, God's the one who saves his life, but he's going to use Julius. Verse 4 and 5. When he had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And we sailed over the sea, which is off of Cilicia and Pamphylia. We came to Myra, a city of Lycia. Now, it's interesting. They're sailing and they're keeping right next to the shore. Why? Because the wind's kicking up huge. We're going to see here in a minute. This is during the, the late, getting close to winter. It's late fall, getting close to winter. And now the storms are kicking up and it makes it really hard to travel on the sea. So they're staying right next to the shore so that they don't get battered. Now, it's interesting, as they're traveling along the shore, Paul would have looked out of the boat and seen all the cities where he had planted churches. I believe it was an opportunity where Paul was praying for those people as he went by. You know, I planted a church there eight years ago, planted a church there five years ago, planted a church, and as he's heading along that shore, it wasn't God's plan for him to remain there, but God had yet another plan. And he's moving to the city of Myra. Now, Myra was about a 450 to 500 mile trip. Don't you love in the Bible when they just say like half a sentence and they travel from here to here? Oh, by the way, it was a 500 mile trip in the midst of stormy seas. But other than that, it wasn't a big deal, right? And it took probably 15 days or more for him to travel that distance. This was not, and you got to understand, he was not on a cruise ship. 
I'm talking a hollowed out boat, you know, with, you know, I mean, it was sails on it and getting tore up. But again, it was all part of God's plan. And you never see Paul murmur. You don't see Paul complain. Paul says, praise the Lord. And again, you're on a ship with Paul for 15 days. We know there's later he's going to be a ship with 276 guys. I have an idea that 276 guys heard about Jesus. He had them on there just enough days for him to reach every single guy and tell them about the love of Almighty God. Verse 6. Oh, by the way, just so you know, I find this interesting. The city of Myra there, in the 4th century, there was a very famous man in the city of Myra, a saint that was used mildly by God. His name was St. Nicholas. That's where you get Santa Claus, which is Pastor Dave going to catch heat now. Santa Claus from the pit of hell. Oh, Pastor Dave, relax. Big fat guy with a beard, lighten up. But you know what? Is Christmas about Santa Claus or is it about Jesus Christ? Amen? And St. Nicholas, if you could grieve in heaven, he'd be grieving in heaven. Don't stop it. It's Jesus' birthday, man. Knock it off, right? But he was from Meyer. He was a real man. And you know what? He pointed people to Christ. Wouldn't walk around with a fat belly ringing a bell or anything like that. All right, verse 6. It says, there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship selling to Italy, and he put us on board. So now they come and they find this huge Alexandrian ship, a large grain ship headed from Egypt to Italy. So they go from this little tiny ship onto this big ship. You know what Paul must have thought? Sweet. Opportunity to reach some more people for Jesus. Amen? Took them off the small ship, put them on the big ship. How many guys you got? Or 270? Oh, that's good. Praise the Lord. Oh man, I get to share Jesus some more. Verse 7. Again, can you see the difference in Paul's heart and sometimes my heart and your heart? We go through difficulty and we're like, God, this isn't fair. Ever said that? This isn't right. How come I'm going? Instead of looking at it from a spiritual perspective, we get bummed out. Paul just thinks everything as an opportunity to preach Jesus. Verse 7. When he had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Sinaitis, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salome. And passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. So they passed by with difficulty. The wind's really starting to kick up now. They're getting into the worst time of the year. And we're going to see this is only a, a picture of what's going to happen. It's only going to get worse. And they land in this little city on the island of Crete called Fair Haven. Now, Fair Haven was a little podunk city. There wasn't much to it. And we're going to see in just a minute that the sailors don't want to hang out there because if they stay there, they're going to be there as much as three months waiting for the weather to get better. And we're going to see their impatience and not wanting to be still and wait. They're going to want to move on to another city that's got more nightlife. Hey, we're going to stay somewhere three months. You know, they better have some golf courses and, you know, some places I can go party. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to stay in Fairhaven. And we're going to see again that their flesh is going to drive them on. But before it does, we're going to see that Paul is going to give them a godly warning. Look at verse 9. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because of the fast was already over them, Paul advised them. Now the fast is the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. Those of you who have been coming on Wednesday nights, we've talked about that in detail. It's in the first part of October. And at that time, every sailor knew it was dangerous to sail. The fog got thick, the, the waves kicked up huge, and it was dangerous. Another month or so would go by, and it would be next to impossible to travel. So these guys knew, and so they already knew it was dangerous, and on top of knowing it's dangerous, that these severe storms were coming, Paul's going to give them a warning. Look at verse 10. Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. 
Paul prophetically warns them that traveling went into disaster. Now you might say, well, what does Paul know? The guy's a tent maker. What does he know about the ocean? He was a tent maker by, by trade. He was a rabbi by profession. And he was a prisoner by decree. But we know in 2 Corinthians 11, he's already been in three shipwrecks. This guy knows a little bit about the ocean, but more importantly than that, he's got the Holy Spirit living inside of him. And he gives them godly counsel, and notice that when we give godly counsel, it's not always received, is it? Sometimes you give godly counsel, and people go the exact opposite direction. Understand it's not our job to convince people to do things. It's our, job, it's our calling to share the truth with them. And it's the Holy Spirit that will draw them. The word there for perceive, where he says, I perceive that this voyage will end in disaster, in the original language, it means to perceive from past experience. Because he had, he had experienced it practically, and he was discerning it prophetically. But again, when he gave this word to them, they looked at Paul, dude, you're a prisoner, go sit down. What are you telling us for? Don't you know that I'm the skipper of the ship? I own this ship, man. I know what's going on with the waves. Go sit down, right? Rabbi, go sit down, tent maker, right? You know what's funny? This totally reminds me of something. I'm not a big guy for telling stories, but... Years ago, when I was at Calvary Lancaster, a bunch of guys decided to go on a deep-sea fishing trip. Big mistake. So we decided to go on this deep-sea fishing trip, and all these guys flying from Texas, I'm with basically a bunch of police officers and me, all from my church. And we get there, and we're getting ready to go out, and it's going to be a 36-hour deep-sea fishing trip. If you're going to go deep-sea fishing, go for like six hours, okay? 36-hour trip. We get there, and they come in and tell us all, of the, all the, uh, charters have been canceled because of small craft advisories, because the storm's way too big, and nobody's going out. Well, if you're a police officer, I love you, God bless you, but these cops got upset. Dude, what, you afraid to go out there? We flew in from Texas, man. I'm over there eating my Monte Cristo, which I would regret later. I'm eating a Monte Cristo, which is a deep-fried sandwich, right? I'm eating this thing, and I'm, I'm oblivious. I've never gotten sick in my life. And finally, the skipper says, okay, guys, you want to go out? I'll take you out. Oh. We got out. We weren't out three hours. And I'm doing okay, but if you get up on, if you go out and everyone is throwing up and you're standing next to them, guess what happens to you? For 33 hours, I threw up. It was not good. I would have paid $10,000 for a helicopter to come and get me. It was bad. And that's what happens sometimes when you think you know better than the person, you know, right? And that's what this skipper probably thought. Oh, yeah? I know better than you, Paul. You're nothing. Go sit down. I should have been praying. I could have given these guys some godly counsel instead of getting on that ship. And then I went home. My bed was like for two days. You know, it was rough. I told the guy, I said, the one good thing about it, before I went on this trip, I could never tell anybody what the worst day of my life was. Now I can. No problem. I lost like nine pounds. I had a six-pack when I got off the... I mean, man. But the reality is that the last thing you want to do is go out and fight with the ocean. That's not a good thing. And here's what's happening is, is Paul gives him counsel and says, guys, if we go out there, it's not going to be pretty. I'm telling you, we're going to lose the cargo. We're going to lose the ship. These guys should have already known the storm's kicking up. And Paul's giving them godly counsel. They think they know better than God. And sometimes we do the same thing. Look at this at verse 11. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Hey, man, the captain knows what he's talking about. You're a tent maker. Yeah, you might have a connection with God maybe, but go sit down. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, 
and the majority advice to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix. You didn't know people were wintering in Phoenix 2,000 years ago. But they want to go to Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northeast and winter there. Now, Fairhaven, again, is a sleepy little town. And these guys say, hey, if we're going to spend three months somewhere, we want to go where it's lively, where people are partying. These sailors were willing to risk their health in pursuit of the flesh. It was only 40 miles away. It doesn't seem like very far. They've been traveling as much as 500 miles at a crack. They went 80 miles in a single day. 40 miles should be nothing. Unless God doesn't want you to go there. Unless God says no. Then it might as well be 4,000 miles. And these guys are about to find out. So we get godly counsel. And these guys are willing to risk it all because they're more concerned about where they end up. Now watch this. Watch when the storm kicks up. It's going to be a storm of correction for Paul and a storm or for the unbelievers and a storm of perfection for Paul. Look at verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing they had attained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. So guess what? The wind died down. They voted on it. Oh, yeah, let's go. I think we should go, man. Let's go down to Phoenix. We can catch a Suns game or something, right? Let's go down to Phoenix. Right? Let's go down there. It's more comfortable down there. They all voted on it. God said one thing. Everybody voted for something else. You know, if you all vote and God says something else, you're wrong. Every time. Amen? I don't care if 10,000 people say we should do it. If God says no, don't do it. And we see here that they voted and said, let's go. And then the wind died down. And no doubt they're probably looking at Paul. Dude, look, the wind died. You don't know anything. Go sit down and make a tent or something, right? Make us a tablecloth, but go sit down. You don't know anything. The captain, the guy's a captain, right? All the sailors raised their hand. We're going. Well, we're going to find out real quick that God knows more than any man, that the wisdom of men is foolishness to God. You know what? When we don't whis- listen to the word of the Lord, consequences always follow. Sometimes we do our own thing, and there are no immediate consequences. God's grace does not equate to God's permission. Sometimes you go out and do something, and you, get, you seemingly get away with it. The consequences aren't immediate. And you think, oh, I'm okay. I, can, I, I knew it was okay for me to do this. But if it's contrary to God's word, it's not if, it's when the consequences will come. And these guys are traveling contrary to God's word. And again, at first, they're blown along softly. And we're going to see here four reasons that each of us should understand, each of us should learn from these sailors, that this is how not to do things according to God's will. First of all, these sailors were impatient. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, patience, and self-control. You know what? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is patience, and often as Christians, we can't wait. We want to force God's hand. You know what? If you don't know for sure what to do, don't do anything. Be still and know that I'm God. Don't strive. Don't force the issue. That's what these sailors did. We're going to see what happens. Not only that, they took a vote. God's way is not democratic. If we made decisions by voting and and listening to what the majority said, what would have happened to Moses in the wilderness? Those of you have been coming on Wednesday night. It would have been three million to two. I think we've got to go back to Egypt. Yeah. Right? That would have went back. But again, it's God's way. And we don't vote on things. We trust in God. They also tested the wind. They looked at their circumstances and said, God's blessed it, and so they moved on. And then lastly, they were more concerned with their comfort. We want to go where it's going to be easy. You know, I'll I tell you what. Can I tell you something? I hear a lot of ministry today. 
People are being used mildly by God, and then they want to move somewhere because housing's cheaper. Do we live in the most expensive place in the world to live just about? Yeah, we do. If God's called you there, here will he provide for you? Absolutely. And you know what? I've had friends move, and they're miserable because they're not where God wants them to be. Amen? Or, i got a better job over here, or the weather's nicer down there, or, you know, this. And you know what? That's okay. Maybe God will move you that way, but make sure you've heard from the Lord, and you're not moving for cheaper housing or better weather or promotion. Make sure it's God moving you. And these guys are saying, let's go down to Phoenix. The weather's better down there. It's got a better nightlife. Let's head down there. They're not seeking God's face. They're seeking their own personal comfort. Want to know God's will? Don't be impatient. Wait upon the Lord. Don't seek to do what's popular with men, but be obedient to God's word. Don't be moved by your outward circumstances, but by the inward conviction of the Holy Spirit. And don't seek what's physically most comfortable, but do what God says is best spiritually. Not physical comfort, but be in the center of God's will. Verse 14. But not long after, here it comes. It's going to happen. A tempestuous headwind arose called a Eurocliton. Now the word there for tempestuous is the English where we get the word typhoon. So the gentle wind became a typhoon. And if you go outside of God's will, and you might think, I'm getting away with it. This is great. Uh, Not for long. Because sin always has consequences. Amen? You may, again, God's grace does not equate to God's permission. And this typhoon starts kicking up. And this the correction, the consequence of unbelief and disobedience. The word there for Eurocliton is a northeasterner. Now, if you look back in verse 13, the wind was blowing from the south. Guess what happened to the wind? It did a 180, and it started stirring up into a typhoon. Should they have listened to Paul's godly counsel? They could have been kicking back in Fairhaven. Instead, they're on a boat, and they're going to get tore up for a long time. We're going to see it the rest of this chapter. Again, this typhoon. Sin always promises gentle pleasure and delivers harsh consequences. Sin always promises gentle pleasure, but it always delivers harsh consequences. Look at verse 15. Soon, when the ship was caught, they could not head into the wind. We let her drive. The word they're driving is they let the ship uh, steer itself. They couldn't steer it anymore. Now, what do these guys do? What is their profession? They're sailors. How big does the storm have to be where these guys have zero control anymore? They let go. They couldn't drive it anymore. They couldn't put the sails up anymore. They were, they were a total loss. There was nothing they could do. And they let go, and the ship just started going wherever it wanted to go. It drove itself. That's not a good place to be when you're on a ship because you have no idea where you're headed. And guess what? It's only going to get worse. It was impossible to steer. You know what? If you succumb to sin, you will lose control. You succumb to sin where it takes you, you'll have no control over it. Disaster is waiting. It's waiting. It's on the other, it's coming. You know what, man? I went out and did that. Nobody noticed. I did this and got away with it. I slept with my girlfriend. Nothing happened. It's all good. You know, I, che- I, I left early from work. Nobody saw me. I cheated on my taxes. Whatever it might be. And we think we just keep getting away with things. But understand that sin has consequences every single time. Look at verse 16. And running under the shelter of an island called Clada, we secured the skiff with difficulty. They were blown 23 miles to the south. That's some wind. They got blown 20. Now, before this is over, they're going to end up being 500 miles off course on a 40-mile trip. Is that some wind or what? 
It reminds me of the, the, the uh, Israelites on an 11-day journey that takes 40 years. Because they're disobedient to God. When you're disobedient to God, a short trip can become a lifelong journey. When you miss the Lord and you don't submit to His will. And they were blown 23 miles and they pulled in the skiff. And the skiff is the little boat that you tow behind you. You know, like the escape hatch. And it was very difficult. The wind was kicking up so hard and the waves were so huge, it was hard for them to pull that boat on board. They didn't want it to be destroyed or lost, so they pulled it up. Look at verse 17. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands. They struck sail and so were driven. So what did they do? They took cables and ropes and wrapped them under the ship so the boards wouldn't fall apart. That's a storm. And the Ravenites, now they could have been in Fairhaven. But instead, because they knew better than God, and they didn't heed godly counsel, and they went their own way, now they're strapping things together and holding on for dear life. They put the sails down, what it says there in that text, so they wouldn't be blown any harsher than they already were. Look at verse 18 and 19. And because we were exceedingly tempestly tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. So what did they start doing? They started throwing their cargo overboard. Now, if you're a sailor, how do you make money? You make money by delivering cargo, right? So if you've already traveled all the way down, you're on your way from Egypt all the way up to Italy, and you're you know, 80% of the way there, and you're having to take all the stuff off the ship and throw it in the ocean, what does that do for your uh, profit? You don't have any. Matter of fact, this trip's costing you money now. You know what? When we get outside of God's will, there are all kinds of consequences that come. And this is one of them. Look at verse th- uh, 18. The next day they lightened the ship, verse 19. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. It's getting so out of control they've got to lighten the ship of it's being weighed down. They're throwing all the, the grain into the ocean and now they're taking the furniture and the deck chairs and, the, and even some of the masts and sails and cutting them down and throwing them into the ocean. Man, should they have listened to Paul, do you think? Could have been in Fairhaven. Instead, they're tearing their own ship apart and throwing their own grain into the ocean and hoping that they don't die. When we get outside of God's will, the consequences are heavy. And look at this. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. How in those days did sailors navigate? What did they use? The stars and the sun. And if you don't have the stars and the sun to navigate by, and you've got a wind that's just kicking you all over the place, you know what happens? You end up 500 miles off course. You know what we should use to navigate? Not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. Amen? His Holy Spirit living inside of us. His Word. You want to get 500 miles off course? Stop reading your Bible. You get out of fellowship. Don't hang around Christians. Start heeding ungodly counsel. Start voting on stuff like the sailors do. Listen to the ungodly counsel at work. Yeah, that's what you ought to do. Oh, your wife was... Man, if I were you, I'd go out and get lit tonight. Oh, let's go, right? Don't read your Bible. Listen to men, and you're going to be like these guys, headed for a shipwreck with no hope, a disaster, nothing leading, nothing guiding, nothing directing. I am so glad that we have God's Word to direct our lives. Amen? And not only do we have His Word, but we have His Holy Spirit living inside of us. We shouldn't have to wonder or guess or hope or think. We should be able to trust God. He's faithful. 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, 
three languages, over 1,500 years, one central theme and no contradictions. And how is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? And one of the things the world attacks is the, is the, you know, the authenticity of the Bible. Let me tell you right now, everything in here is from God. Every single letter. Amen? And we need to trust His Word. And the Holy Spirit will be confirmed. What He's doing in our hearts will be confirmed in His Word. But these guys had no bearing anymore. And their life was just getting tossed in every direction. And maybe you're here this morning. And that's how your life's been. You've just been blown from rock to rock. Your life's a disaster. Or maybe it was a disaster. And praise God. But get your eyes on Jesus. And it won't be a disaster anymore. Amen? He'll bring you right back to where you belong. But the good thing about this is, is these guys are at the end of themselves, but they've succumbed to sin, their ministry's been destroyed, their testimony's been blown, they've lost their cargo, it causes them to lose their bearing, they didn't know what was going on, but praise God, there's a guy by the name of Paul on board. Amen? We're going to be real glad Paul's around right about now. The guy they told to go sit down and, you know, be quiet, he's going to go from being a prisoner to being the captain of the ship in a sense. He's going to start being the one to speak up. And you know, can I encourage you with something? Look around your office, look around your neighborhood, and when you see somebody in the midst of the storm, know that God wants to use you to throw out a lifeline to them. Amen? God wants to use you. You know what, bro? I know you're going through difficulty. Do you know there's a God who loves you? And He died for you? And He wants you to have eternal life? Do you know that there is hope? It's not in your 401k. It's not in anything that you can lose. He loves you, and He died for you. Now look at Paul's response. Paul's going to share four ministries of encouragement to these guys in the midst of their crisis. When they've given up all hope, Paul's faith, hope, and character is going to point them back to the truth. First of all, he's going to share God's Word with them. That's where we ought to start. Verse 21. But after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, no, you hate this. You should have listened to me. Duh. Right? Don't you hate I told you so? Isn't it like the worst thing? I told you you shouldn't have done that. I, I, I know. Right? He gets up and says, I told you so. You should have listened to me, bro. I'm hanging out with the Lord. I'm not voting. It's what God said. And he said, I told you so. Man, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred such disaster and loss. They've had long abstinence from food. Can I tell you that during the 33 hours that I was up chucking on the boat, that I didn't want any food? By the way, there was like 45 guys on the boat, and the only two guys not throwing up was the captain and his crewman. And they were eating everyone's lunch. <laughs> we all brought all this food, and everything went, ah, that, mm. Is this yours, bro? Man, your wife, tell your wife, this is some good chicken. Oh. These guys haven't eaten for 14 days. Why? Right? I'm not eating. Don't get that away from me. I'm going to get sick. Right? I, don't, I, don't even, I don't want to see food. These guys haven't eaten in 14 days. Consequences of sin, disobeying God, could have been in Fairhaven having a barbecue. And instead, they're on a ship, and they haven't eaten anything in 14 days, and their life's a disaster, and we're all going to die. We're cutting the mast off. We're throwing it off. We're throwing the grain off. Oh, I don't even know how we're going to eat when we get to shore, if we ever do, because we just threw our money out. We got nothing. We missed it all. Why? Because we're going our own way. We know better than God. That's a big mistake. Every single time. Paul said, I told you so. And he didn't do that. He's just saying, you should have listened to me because I've heard from the Lord. He didn't remind them to heap guilt upon them, but to show them that he had heard from God. To give them greater credibility to his words. Look at verse 22. Look what he says. And now I urge you to take heart. Take heart? 
Do you know where we are, Paul? Have you looked around? Guys, take heart. I'm holding on. What are you talking? Take what? Do you see the mast is gone? Do you know our grain's in the ocean? What do you mean take heart? We've lost everything. We don't even know where we are, Paul. It's so dark out here, we can't see the stars. The fog's all over us. The storm's kicking up. We're, we're all going to die. Paul's like, take heart. Be of good cheer. Right? Oh. Paul words of encouragement. Now watch what he says. Take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Now that's encouraging somewhat, right? You're not going to die. The ship's going to be toast, by the way. But you're not going to die. Here's my words of encouragement to you. Take heart. And that is a great word of encouragement because the only thing that's going to be lost is stuff that's not eternal. Verse 23. Now look what he says. How, how can he give them such encouragement? For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Who would this angel of God be that he serves? Who do you think? It, here's who I think. It, I think it's Jesus. He doesn't serve angels, does he? He serves God, right? An angel of God whom I serve. You know what? In the midst of the storm, guess who shows up? Jesus does. When you're in the midst of difficulty, when you're in the fiery furnace, when you're in those trials, that's when the Lord shows up. And the Lord showed up and he ministered to Paul. Everybody else is panicking in the midst of the storm and Paul is being ministered to by the Lord. Earlier when he was being persecuted in Jerusalem, Jesus came to Paul and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified to me in Jerusalem, you're going to Rome. Hadn't he already told me he was going to Rome? He was. He knew that they were going to make it, but they needed to know that they were going to make it. Verse 24, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. So he says, guys, take heart. Guess what? God showed up and told me you're not going to die. Now, do you think there might have still been some doubters in the bunch? Right? Hanging on to the ship, right? No doubt. But Paul said, you're not going to die. I've heard from the Lord. He loves you. Look at verse 25. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. You know what? There can be no greater statement in the world than I believe God. I believe God. Can we say that? We should be saying that more often. Amen? When the world around us is trapped... I believe God. God's faithful. He's in control. I trust Him. It doesn't matter. The storm can kick up. It's okay. God is in control. You can't vote God out of office, by the way. Amen? He's always going to be God. He's always going to be faithful, and we can trust Him. It will be just as He told me. Man's popular opinions will fail, but God's Word will endure forever. So He gives them God's Word, and now He's going to warn them. Look verse 26. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, when you are have a ship, what's the last thing you want to do? Running aground is not good. That'd be like a guy in his brand new car saying, yeah, you're going to live, but we're first going to crash into a telephone pole at 90. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Can't we just stop and get out? Do we got to crash? And he said, you're going to run aground. Oh, that's not good, but you're going to be on ground when it's over. You're not on ground now, right? You're out in the midst of a storm. And watch what happens there, verse 27 through 29. Well, now when the 14th night had come, so 14 nights have come, as we were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea, 500 miles from where they started. 14 days in a storm. I thought 33 hours was bad. These guys were ripped right about now. They haven't eaten anything. They've been tossing their cookies, no doubt. 14 days, 
Man, I can't even imagine. Look what it says. Up and down the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near to some land. Now, it could be they heard waves. Who knows why they sensed it? And look what it says in verse 28. And they took soundings and found that it was 20 fathoms. Then when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it was 15 fathoms. So they took soundings. There's a way they could take soundings. They found they were 120 feet deep. Then they took some more soundings. It was 90 feet deep, which means that they were drawing closer to land. Look at this, verse 29. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rock. Wait a minute. What did Paul just tell them? You're going to what? You're going to run aground. And now they're getting close to running aground like Paul told them they would. And what do they do? They panic. Didn't God tell you? Oh, yeah. But we don't want to anyway. God told us not to leave Fairhaven. And we missed him then. And watch, they're going to miss God one more time. They couldn't see because they didn't have faith. They didn't trust God. You know, faith is not seeing and then believing. It's believing and then seeing. Amen? It's believing God when it doesn't make sense. That's faith. And these guys don't have any of it. And it says there, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. They should have been praying, but not for day. They should have been praying to the Lord. Amen? They dropped anchors. You know what that did? It kept them from what? Running aground. He told them, I'm going to drive you into the ground, but I'm going to save you. Trust me. Now, Paul had told them, don't go out. If you go out, it's going to be a disaster. They went out. Was it a disaster? Yeah. They've heard God's word, right? Now he tells them, I'm going to run you aground, but it's going to be for your own safety. And now they're getting ready to run aground, and they throw anchors out. They don't want to trust the Lord. Thinking, again, trying to stop what God wants to do in our lives. You know, sometimes we do that. God wants to do a work in us, and we throw anchors out. God wants to take us somewhere. He wants to move us. He wants to do something radical in our lives. And we say, you know what? I'm going to stay right where I'm at. You know, Lord, I got the get out of hell free card. I'm going to heaven. I mean, I don't have to be too, I don't want to be a Jesus freak like Pastor Dave or something, right? You know, I, let me just relax right where I'm at. This is good right here. And when, when, you know, when the rapture comes, come by and pick me up, right? But until then, I'm good. I'm going to throw an anchor out and stay right here. Well, that's these guys' heart. He said, I want to run. No, we're sailors. We want to stay right here. Verse 30. And some of the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship. So look at this. Not only did they drop anchor, but they went and got that little skiff off the back. Can you see them? Guys, come here. Let's get the skiff. Now, is that selfish? These are the sailors. Who are they thinking about? It's all about me. Right? It's all about me. And so they try to get on this the skiff. And look what it says. And when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting anchors from the prow. So they're sneaking off the back of the boat and trying to escape. By the way, God knows and God sees them. Verse 31. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Who's running this ship now? Paul says, unless those guys stay in the ship, you're all going to die. Now, praise God, some of these guys start to listen. Somebody's starting to hear his words, and someone's starting to, to, to obey. All others were panicking, and Paul was trusting God and directing others to the truth. He's saying, don't bail out. No matter how severe it gets, you trust God and His Word. He promised to take care of us, but those guys leave, we're all in trouble. Verse 32. And like this. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. Now, that's like burning the ships. Right? They went over and they saw the skiff. They cut the ropes and let it go. They said, you know what? We're putting all our baskets in, in God's hands. We're going to trust what He told us. No escape routes. You know what? I have to give. Aren't there times when you step out for God, but you hold an escape route back here? Lord, I'll do it, but 
Got to hang on to something back here just in case. Lord, I want to serve you with my whole heart, but I want to get too radical. And you want to hold on instead of totally giving it up to the Lord. Well, they cut the ropes and the skiff went away. Again, this is an act of great faith. Verse 33, we're almost done. As the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continue without food, eating nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. Paul tells them to take nourishment because he knows that they're about to be in the ocean in a little bit, and they're going to need to swim to shore. And he says, Guys, you haven't eaten in 14 days. You need to feed yourselves. Paul sees both the physical and the spiritual. Isn't what Jesus did? He fed the 5,000 physically, then he fed them spiritually. He ministered to their physical needs, and then he ministered to their spiritual needs. Paul had the same heart, and Paul spoke to them. Faith comes by feeding on God's Word. Physical faith, uh, uh, spiritual growth comes by feeding on the Word of God. Physical strength comes from feeding on food. Verse 35. And when he'd said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Now, I love this, that he took the bread, and he's standing with 276 guys, only three of which we know for sure are Christians. The other 273 could be idol worshipers, pagans, probably are. They're from Egypt. What kind of people? That, and you know what he does? He gets in front of all of them and prays for the food. You know what I thought about? Next time you're in a restaurant, don't be shy about praying for your food. Amen. He hung on a cross for you. Can you pray out loud for him? Amen? And I used to say to the students, now when you pray at school, don't do this. Dear Lord, thank you for this food. Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) I prayed nobody saw me, but I prayed, right? Don't be an undercover Christian. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Paul got up, broke the bread, and said, thank you, Lord, in front of everybody. He was not ashamed of the Lord, and we shouldn't be ashamed of him. I'll tell you, if you haven't seen the passion, go see it. Amen? And I want to tell you something. Every time I think about what Christ, and, that, and what he endured was worse than what we saw in that movie. When you think about what he endured for us, how he died and suffered for us, can't we live for him? Amen? We should not be ashamed of him. Don't be undercover. Paul was, and he got up, broke the bread, and thanked God. And we ought to be the same. Be bold for him, not ashamed of our Savior. Prayer in the lunchroom, the cafeteria, wherever you might be, be bold for the Lord. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Verse 36, Then they were all encouraged and also took food to themselves. And there were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the weed into the sea. So they were encouraged. And again, Paul's example encouraged everyone around him. Paul was a thermostat. He wasn't a thermometer. What does that mean? What does a thermostat do? It changes the environment around it. You move the thermostat and whatever the thermostat says, everything around it changes. A thermometer reflects what's going on around it. Whatever has happening around it, it just reflects it. And Paul said, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks, I know where my focus is. It's on the Lord. And his focus on God impacted everybody around him. The faith and boldness of one man, woman, or child can have a huge impact on the world around them. Verse 39, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach on which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go of the anchors, and left them, left them in the sea. Meanwhile, losing the rudder and ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. Now, isn't this in response and obedience to what God had told them? Now they, they, they cut the anchors. They said, you know what? We're not going to be anchored anymore. I'm not going to be anchored to this world anymore. I'm not going to allow the things of this world to hold me down anymore. Well, you know what? We're going to cut the anchors and we're going to put the sail up. 
And we're going to let God blow us wherever He wants to. You know what? Wouldn't that be great in the body of Christ if we would stop being anchored to the world and we'd put the sail up and say, Lord, you take me where you want to take me and I'll follow you. And Lord, wherever you take me, I know it's going to be what's best for me. And I know there might be some waves there, but Lord, I trust you. I have faith in you. You're a great and an awesome God. Verse 41. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. Pray, what? Duh. Isn't that what he told them what happened? God is always faithful to his word. Every single time. They ran aground and the prow struck fast, remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from that purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. Having Paul on ship saved all the prisoners. Having Paul there to speak the truth had had an impact on the centurion. And he didn't want to see Paul die because he made a stand for the Lord. But you know what? Paul was willing to die if necessary. Whatever it took that God might be glorified. Praise God for Paul and his heart. God had promised that no life would be lost. God was faithful, and he worked on the heart of the centurion. And uh, how many surfers we got here? Raise your hand. If you didn't know surfing's in the Bible, look at the next verse. And the rest, some on boards. That's what it says. And some's on parts of the ship. And so it was, they all escaped safely to land. So some jumped in and swam, and some got on boards. And some got on parts of the ship and went into the shore. The first surfers in the Bible. There they are. It's in the Bible. They all escaped safely just as God had promised. What a great God. He had promised them. And if they had listened to Paul earlier, where would they have been right now? Fairhaven. Having a barbecue. Life is good. Instead, they had to be blown 500 miles off course, lose the ship, lose all their grain, and end up, you know, sucking down some water and laying on a beach somewhere because they didn't listen to the Lord. You know what? We can do things the easy way or the hard way in our relationship with God. We can go contrary to His will and reap the consequences of our sin, or we can just trust Him. So lastly, in closing, four types of storms that blow into our lives. Storms of correction. Remember Jonah? I'm going this way. God said, no, you're not. You're going this way. We can go through difficulties in life because we're going outside of God's will, and He wants to bring us to where we belong. Storms of perfection. The apostles were in the Sea of Galilee. Remember the storm was kicking up? The Lord was watching them, and He used it to increase their faith. You go through trials that your faith might grow. Storms of protection. Remember Noah? That storm came, why? Because there was evil all around him. And sometimes God puts us through storms to protect us from the evil that is around us. And lastly, storms of direction to lead us to where God wants us to go. May we learn to view the storms of life as an opportunity to grow spiritually. Don't blame God, thank God. Thank God when the storms come and say, Lord, what do you want to teach me? Our God is faithful, He's in control, and He loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we do thank You for the storms of life. Lord, I pray in the midst of the storm we would not be overwhelmed by the waves, but our eyes would be on the Master. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would be like Paul, that we would have a heart to use the storms of life as an opportunity for the Gospel, an opportunity to reach out to others. Lord, I pray we'd be sensitive to those around us who are in the midst of the storm. Lord, may You use us to reach out to them the way You used Paul to reach out to the men on this ship, to share with them that there is hope. Tell them to be of good cheer to take heart, because there's a God who loves them, a God who cares. Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. You're such a great and an awesome God. We thank you that we can hold on to you, and that you never leave us nor forsake us, no matter how rough the waves may get. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.